Good morning, everyone. And welcome, welcome to the worship service this morning, and welcome everybody who's joining online. Uh, my name's Nathan Beasley, and this morning I'm going to be preaching from 1 John chapter 3. So if you do have your Bibles with you, please go ahead and open them to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, if, if you don't and you want to get on a Bible app or the church app, that would be great. Um, you'll notice that there are sermon notes in your bulletins. Uh, those are also in the, in the church app, so feel free to follow along with me in there. Last week, we ended with 1 John 3, verse 10. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So this next section, John is going to talk about love. And we know in the book of 1 John, he's been contrasting light versus darkness. Uh, those who have eternal life and those who do not. Those who love, those who hate, those who are children of God, those who are children of the devil, those who are in the world and those who are in Christ. And we're going to see the same thing where he now contrasts Cain as a symbol of hate versus Jesus as a symbol of love. So this whole section is going to be talking about love. And uh, this, is, this is a graph of the uses of the word love uh, in the New Testament. And these two spikes you see are uh, the book of John right here and 1 John right here. So you see love is a big deal to John. And what blows me away is 1 John is only like five chapters, right? The book of John's big. I mean, what, 22, 24, 25, somewhere in there. How many is it? How many? 22. All right, 22. So in First John, it's very condensed, which is kind of cool. So this section, we're going to see uh, uh, John talk about what love is. So what is love? What is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> okay, now that that's out of the way, we're really going to. Talk about what love is. Um, of course, that's, gosh, how, how can you not say that after you hear what is love? Um, I, I'm going to start with a picture. If you're, if you're walking and you're carrying a cup and it's filled to the brim, if you get knocked, whatever that cup is filled with is what's going to spill out. The unexpected knocks and irritations of life are similar uh, they're similarly an indicator to the quality of life within. And so as we walk through this passage, I just want us to be conscientious and aware, okay? When, when we come into those unexpected knocks and jogs of life, what is it that spills out of us? Because those, those can be an indicator of the heart. So John begins here in this section in verse 11. So if you would read along with me, he says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is a clear orientation of what's going on. Notice, he says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. This isn't a new message. This is the message that's been, the gospel message has been about love. The whole Old Testament's been about love. This is the message you, church, have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Another thing about this is that they heard it. So it was proclaimed to them. It originated from outside of them, and then it came to them. And their responsibility was to hear it, to listen to it, to embrace it, to practice it. 
love one another. This is the message we also have heard from the beginning. And so we need to embrace it in the same way that those in this, in this passage of Scripture uh, had to embrace it. We should love one another. So just prepare your heart. Are we prepared to, to hear this word this morning? We know that the, the, the world and lots of people have their ideas and definitions of what love is. And John gives a very clear definition, and we're going to unpack that this morning. So, he says, do not be like Cain in verse 12, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. If we remember the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter 4, we know that they're both children of Adam and Eve. I'm, I'm going to read there, Genesis 4 verse 2, it says that Adam and Eve had Abel, and then they had, uh, well actually they had Cain first, and then they had Abel, and then in verse 2 it says, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked in the soil. Now at this point, they're adults. They would have heard the stories from their parents about the, the garden and the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, the, the fall, the eviction from the garden, the flaming sword that guards the tree of life. These wouldn't have been things that they wouldn't have known. And, and they would have instructed their, uh, Adam and Eve would have instructed their, their sons and how to approach God because uh, they just would have instructed their, their, their kids in this. And they would have learned that you approach God through submission to his rule and, and sacrifice and offering and gratitude for God's provision. Which is why in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 4 it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. They both brought offerings. They're both doing, seemingly doing the right thing here, right? It says, the Lord looked on favor with Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Notice Cain brought some of the fruits. And then Abel brought the fat portions from the first fruits. Uh, you know, I love, to, I love to cook meats and smoke meats. I got a smoker from my father-in-law. And I know from watching videos and from trying that the best steaks are the ones that have the marbling in them, the ribeye, you know, that they've got the, the fat kind of in there that renders down and makes it so delicious and juicy and tender. That's what Abel brought, the, the first fruits, the best. And Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil. And the Lord didn't buy Cain's. He didn't buy any, right? He said, the, the, the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you, do what is, uh, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Cain's offering here demonstrated that he didn't take God or his sacrifice to the Lord seriously. God provided gracious provision by which people could draw near to him and, and Cain blew him off by just going through the motions. He was holding back for himself the best instead of sacrificing it to the Lord. 
You see, this isn't a battle between God favoring Abel more than favoring Cain. No, this is a moral battle. And we're going to see, you may know already, Cain's going to lose. Because in the next verse, in the next verse, Cain says to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they're out in the field, Cain attacks and kills his brother Abel. See, Cain's actions were evil, but that evil originated in his heart. If your heart isn't in the right place, it doesn't matter what you do. It's not going to be accepted to the Lord. Uh, and and God, God can see through this. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do if your actions are evil. Don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. And then we're going to go back to 1 John in verse 13. It says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, or anyone who hates remains in death. Those who find that when they're bumped, spill resentment, bitterness, jealousy, pride, Beware, beware, because those are unsanctified parts in us, and that's all of us, right? But don't be lax. Don't blame others. <laughs> don't, don't be like Cain. It's not someone else's fault. I mean, sometimes it is, but our response, we, we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. Why? Because in verse 15, he says, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. And this is so challenging because John ties together hate and murder and death. And, and, and those who feel like we aren't that bad because we haven't murdered anyone, th this, is, this is challenging because he says, look, if you hate a brother or sister, that's, that's considered a murder, right? In the eyes of God because he knows the heart and he knows that the, the, the root, murder is just the fruit of that root. Um, hate, hate and the killer share a common motive. And in the eyes of God, there's no difference in their moral character. And so for the first part of this, <clears throat> I've lost this, but the next, the next slide, the first part of this is hate is a sign of spiritual death. Hate is a sign of spiritual death. What's, what's in the heart will, will work itself out. Evil leads to hate. Hate leads to death. In this sense, hate is somewhat of the uh, bummock. I had to look this word up. The bummock of the iceberg, which is the part underneath the surface. Right? You may not be able to see it, but it's in the heart. And uh, it's, it's present. God sees it. And to take the, the illustration a step further, it can be massive and potentially deadly. Right? We all know the story of the Titanic. Um, so what is, what is hate? I think that hate happens when in our minds or in reality, somebody is put above us or before us and it clashes with our egos. And rather than moving towards putting others first, it leads to resentment and, and bitterness. This is what happened with Cain, isn't it? I mean, Abel was seen with favor and it clashed with his ego. What, what should he have done? He should have repented, realized that he, what he was doing was wrong, asked for forgiveness, done the right thing. 
But instead, he got rid of the problem. He shoved it under the rug. Murder, murder here is just the natural progression of this. Right? Ultimately, hate is selfishness that leads to resentment of God and others. It's, it boosts ourselves up at the expense of putting others down. And murder is just the ultimate fruit of that damning root. We've been socially conditioned not to murder. <laughs> We're afraid of the legal consequences. But in the eyes of God, possessing that root is just as bad. When the cup is knocked, we need to be self-reflective. We need to say, okay, what's, what's this saying about my heart? And, and repent of that. Because God, God gives Canaan out. He says, look, don't you know that if you just do what is right, you'll be, you'll be fine? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must master over it. And sin is, is crouching at all of our doors. So we, we must ask, allow for the Holy Spirit, beg the Holy Spirit to, to settle in our hearts conviction so we need to look around so that when we see and we notice people or situations or, or uh, things that when they knock into us, spill bitterness, resentment, and hate, we don't murder the problem or the person in our minds. Sin is crouching at our doors, and it desires to have us. We must rule over it. So after this discussion on Cain, John shifts and he contrasts. He begins to talk with uh, uh, talk about love. Hate is characteristic of the world. Hate is characteristic of Cain. Hate is self-focus. Look at what he says in verse 16, 1 John 16 here. He says, 1 John 3.16. By the way, the John 3.16s, 1 John 3.16, they're all great. I don't know if that was intentional or what. But uh, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The ultimate example of love is Jesus Christ. And readers, we all should imitate this kind of love. And the most blatant impression that's left on us is that more than any emotion or feeling, love is first and foremost an act of sacrifice. Uh, feelings can be a part of love but they are not the ultimate marker of how much you love. John doesn't say, when you have warm feelings for each other, or when you share a mutual attraction, this is love. No, he says, he says Jesus' death, uh, laying down his life for us, is the ultimate model for our love. Without this, we don't, we don't know what love is. So, two things to notice here. First of all, notice the phrase, Jesus laid down his life for us. He did it. It wasn't taken from him. It was a willing sacrifice. Second of all, why did he do it? He did it for us. There was a purpose behind it. He didn't just die. He died to accomplish something, right? What, what the scripture says is that we should have died, but somehow Jesus died for us so that we no longer have to die. Jesus laid down his life for us. And this is what we ought to do. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Sacrificial death for one another is, is, is love, right? And, and then John says, uh, he uses a rhetorical question. He says, if anyone has material possessions 
and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? What's, what's great about this is, you know, without this verse, we could be thinking, unless I actually die physically for somebody, I, I can't truly love them. But he says, look, if you see somebody who's need, in need and you can do something about it, but you don't do it, you don't do anything about it, that's not love. In, another, in the English Standard Version, it says, uh, anybody who closes their heart against somebody. If you have material possessions and you see a brother or sister in need and you close your heart against them. You see how that's similar to what, what Cain did in a sense? I mean, it's still self-focused. It's not wanting to be inconvenienced by somebody. It's not wanting to be sacrificial. It's not wanting to put other people first. It's still self-absorbed. Um, the love of God cannot, cannot be in a person who sees a brother or sister in need and though they can do something, they do nothing. Isn't, isn't that so challenging? My gosh. Anybody else feel the weight of that? If you see somebody, a brother or sister in need, and you have material possessions, and can do something about it, but you don't, how can the love of God be in that person? Dang. That's, that's harsh. That's harsh. This has to do with willing actions towards others that, that meets uh, their, their need. It works towards their good. And then, and then John says in this next verse, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Look, just as Jesus didn't say, hey, I love you guys, but he did something about it, that's what, that's what we're to do. Love with only words can be so shallow. Haven't we all experienced this when somebody says they, they care, they, but they aren't willing to be inconvenienced or to give of themselves or their time. Um, words can be so, so shallow. We need to be aware of this. So, so what does it mean to love in actions and in truth? I think there's, there's two things here going on. Um, the first way to love in actions and in truth uh, <clears throat> is to uh, demonstrate your love, the truth of your love, uh, by actions. So a, a quote from David Jackman here says, it, it may be a gift of money. It may equally be a gift of time or work on someone else's behalf. It is so easy to love in words, to express sympathy, to promise to pray, to exhort and encourage. But it is actions that confirm or deny their truth. Without these, our words can be mere hypocrisy. So a demonstration of love and truth uh, is one that confirms the truth of the love. I think another dimension of loving in actions and in truth is a demonstration of love where the intention matches the impact. A demonstration of love where the intention matches the impact. Um, it has to come an intention, a desire to meet the other person's good. But when it's in truth, it actually meets that end. And that's what Jesus did, right? He gave down his life to meet our our, our needs and our deepest need of helping with our problem of sin. And that's actually what happened. So it's, it's, it's uh, intention, intention matches the impact. Intention matches the impact. And this is the, the second point here too. Love requires right intention and right actions. Love requires right intention and right actions. Now, I want to pause real fast here. He says, don't love in, in words and speech. 
I think that there can be a way in which we can love others in words and speech. And the reason I can say this is because I think John is doing this here and he's modeling it for us. Uh, he is speaking in written form to this church in this book. <clears throat> and he's demonstrating love and care for them by giving up his time to write this letter. And the letter actually meets the end, of, uh, the desired end to help this congregation that he's speaking to. So I think that there are ways in which you can love in word, but his, his challenge is beware of that. Beware of loving just in words because words can be shallow. You know, I, if, if you've spent time with me, you know I love music. And one of my favorite musicians is John Mayer. I don't know, does anybody else like John Mayer? I, I know some people do. Of course, Abby does. And Alan, I know you guys. <clears throat> uh, John Mayer, he's got a song called Love is a Verb. And you should listen to it. It's really good. He says, love is a verb. It ain't a thing. It's not something you own. It's not something you screen. When you show me love, I don't need your words. Yeah, love ain't a thing. Love is a verb. And he says, love ain't a crutch. It ain't an excuse. You can't get through love on just a pile of IOUs. Um, love ain't a drug, despite what you've heard. Love ain't a thing. Love is a verb. And I think that there's something, there's something to that. You know, a lot of times it's like, oh, I just have these great emotions. I feel, you know, like I said, emotions are part of that. But loving actions grow the emotions. Um, but words, words can be shallow. Words can be shallow. We've all experienced this, I'm sure. So one way of thinking about love here is that, um, uh, that love can be just this. If I, if, I don't, if I do the wrong action, that's bad. If I do the right action, that's good. <clears throat> I, I think that this is not quite right because we see that Cain actually was doing the right action by offering a sacrifice. We see that the Pharisees, a lot of times, do the right actions. So it's more than just doing the right actions. So another way of thinking about it, this is not good. <laughs> That's my mental reminder there. Another way of thinking about this is that, uh, is love just the right intention? And sin is the wrong intention? And you can see, uh, I think this also misses the mark. I don't know if you all have experienced this, but um, there's sometimes when just having the right intentions isn't really quite right. I mean, I remember in college reading a book called Toxic Charity. Uh, the subtitle of that is called uh, when, How the Church Helps Those. Uh, I'm sorry, Toxic Charity, How the Church Hurts Those They Help and How to Reverse It. And it was a very challenging book because he, he talks about um, churches and organizations that really mean well but actually do more harm than good. He talked a lot about missions trips and organizations where they actually hurt the people that they're trying to minister to. And uh, it's because, he said, that because people don't listen. The, the, the philanthropy and charity industry in this country don't really get checked on whether or not they're their good is actually doing good. Um, I remember one time this past winter when it had snowed a lot and we had extended family over and we went to shovel off our driveway 
And then we went right next door and we were thought like, okay, we'll go, we'll go shovel our neighbor, Mr. Willis's driveway off too. And uh, he's, he's an older guy. Uh, he was fought with cancer. And um, so it's like, he can't, he can't do it himself. Right. And so we went over there, we shoveled it off. He came out to greet us and he said, great. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Now I will call the people who usually shovel my driveway and tell them that they don't have to come. And and I was just thinking, man, I hope that guy wasn't relying on that work to help feed his family. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that, I don't know how that ended, but what was meant to be well could have, could have been damaging. Don't we hear about this with the, 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 the critique of the missions, uh, international missions trips, is that you spend a lot of money and you, you go down there and you maybe put in a well or something you feel great about yourself, you leave, and then that actually does damage because there's no training on how to use it. Uh, that maybe not is that that maybe is not their ultimate need that they have. Um, and also maybe it puts out the local people from work. You know, and, and trust me, I, I love missions trips. They can be done, right? I, I, Abby and I lived internationally, you know, with, uh, with an organization that brought a lot of teams down. Um, but there is a time in which just having a right intention is not enough. It's, it's, it seems to me to be obviously better than, you know, just having the, the wrong intention. But I think that there's a way in which we can understand uh, love and truth. And I think that it's something like this. And you, you have this in your sermon notes if it's small. Um, this, I think, is love in actions and in truth. It's, it's where the loving action lands the desired impact matches the actual impact. The right action with the wrong intention is hypocrisy. That's what we saw in Cain. The right intention uh, with the wrong action here is, is service, but it's, it's done out of ignorance. And so I think the key here is to listen and to understand the needs and, and pray for wisdom and discernment and how to and how to best meet the need. Because love, I think, is the, is the right action uh, with the right intention. The right intention that the, the action actually meets the desired impact. So um, going back to the, the scripture, John then talks about truth. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. He says, if our hearts condemn us, verse 20, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And then, and then skip down to verse 24 real fast. It says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So once again, he's talking to believers. He's saying, look, you have the spirit in you. And that, that's helpful for understanding verse 20 and 21. He says, if, if our hearts condemn us, I think what he's getting at is if our hearts condemn us, you have the spirit in you, there's going to be friction between the sin in you and the spirit in you. And, and that's actually a good thing. It can be a good thing because it demonstrates that we have the spirit in us, but it's a good thing, especially if it leads us to repentance uh, and, to, and to embrace God. And then he says, if, if our hearts do not condemn us, if our hearts don't condemn us and we don't, and, and we have the Holy Spirit in us, and there's no friction, that means that we're walking in step with God's will. We're doing 
the right thing. And uh, we have confidence before God. And we can ask him for anything and receive it. And I think that, uh, you know, it's important. I know Dan always says God isn't a cosmic vending machine. You know, you can't just, all right, God, give me this new Lambo. It'd be nice. No, it wouldn't. Uh, why? Because I think God wants our, what's best for us. Um, and sometimes those things that we would ask for might not be our, our best. But anyway, you know, I think what he's getting at is here when we ask, uh, we can receive from him anything we ask is, in the context of this, the people who receive are the ones who are walking in step with God. Their request will stem from a pure heart that is in step with his will. And, and what an encouragement it, it is. What an encouragement it is. And then this section concludes by explicitly reminding readers what Jesus' command is. It says in verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Um, it's more than just a cognitive recognition that Jesus died for us. It's and. It's, it's, um, it's both faith and action. When we, when we come to know Christ, it, is a natural, it naturally leads to actively following Christ's example of self-sacrifice. Uh, both faith and action indicate that one has passed from death to life. Notice that it, it indicates. It doesn't save, right? It indicates. Both faith and actions indicate that you have passed from death to life. Salvation in Christ necessarily changes our attitudes and our actions towards others. Um, the, the, the main the big idea here is that our sacrificial love for each other is confirmation that we are in Christ. It's our sacrifice. It's following Christ's example. Faith and love belong together in the New Testament. So much so in Galatians 5, 6, Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, so what do we do with this? I, I think that the... The, there's, there's a, a reactive uh, application, there's a proactive application. The reactive application is, notice, when the cup is jogged, what spills out? And we need to make note of that and repent of that and learn and grow and ask the Holy Spirit to, to bring those times of attention to our minds so that we are in constantly being sanctified. And then the proactive response is, what are the ways in which we can practice loving each other? Now, what are the ways in which we can conjure up emotions or, or feelings of affection towards each other? But what are the ways in which we can sacrifice, give of ourselves in order to meet the best needs of others? How can we practice loving each other? And wouldn't this be awesome, y'all, if, if we got this in our church was radically energized by its commitment and love and, and giving of ourselves to each other? If we were characterized by this self-giving, especially I feel like coming out of COVID and everybody's disconnected, um, especially with the disconnect and the political division and all that stuff, let us recommit to sacrificially loving each other. Let us recommit to sacrificially loving each other. But people, people are lonely. 
A couple weeks ago, I showed this statistic from uh, Sigma. 46% of U.S. adults report sometimes or always feeling lonely. 47% of U.S. adults report feeling left out. If any of you has material possessions and sees somebody else in need and does not give, how can the love of God be in, in that? I think there are obviously material needs in, in our culture. Uh, I think that another need in our culture is for developing, deepening fellowship, relationships with each other. We're so disconnected. And we, we at the church, we, we of the church should be radically fighting against this. You know, what, what would it look like? What would it look like if we intentionally invited somebody out to dinner or coffee? We extended hospitality, not because we had an agenda, but just to get to know somebody. Um, or what would it look like when somebody invites you to say yes and going? That's, that's a sacrifice, right? You're giving of your time in order to grow relationships with other people. And what would it look like to be present with people, not just physically, but with our attention? Attention is such a, a commodity these days. And most people, the reason I think a lot of this is because most people, they may be around other people physically, but people aren't loving them by giving them, offering them their attention. And so one, one application of this is we need to slow down for loving union with each other. I think, I think busyness is, is huge. And I promise you, I'm, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anybody else. You know, um, it's hard. It is busy. And a lot of times uh, being extra busy is seen as virtuous in our culture. And so if I can work myself, work myself, keep putting in time, keep putting in time, that's better. But um, that may con contribute to the problem. And, yeah, that may contribute. Um, and what would it look like if our, if our marriages were, were characterized by this and our relationships with our, our, our kids and we – you know, slow down and we could be with people and just grow relationships and demonstrate love, sacrificing of ourselves to be with others. That's following Jesus in this. The second thing is um, listen and practice being present. I think that that, that that can be huge, not just physically, but with our attention. Our attention. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I heard this saying, and it's really stuck with me since. It was, uh, be where your feet are. I don't think that's an, an uncommon saying, be where your feet are. What, he's get, what the guy who told me that was getting at is, um, and what that saying is getting at is, look, if you're there, be present. Be present in that moment. Be present with that person. Be where your feet are. Be, be where your feet are. Now, I've got, I've got uh, some questions for personal reflection because we aren't going to have life groups today, but they're in your, they're in your bulletin. Um, they're on the app. Uh, you, can, you can get on the app. If you've made notes, you can email it to yourself. Read those reflection questions. Reflect on them. And what, what the questions are doing is they're leading you, okay, look around. Where are the needs in my social sphere, in my professional sphere, in, in my recreational sphere, in my familial sphere? Where are the needs? And how can I step into that? How can I step into that? Because you can't do everything. Ask the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. Who, who is it this week? Who's the one person that you can reach out to? Have over for coffee. You know, that, that sort of thing. Time is very valuable. Are we willing to sacrifice it for another person? 
I want to end with the, this commissioning. Uh, in, in chapter 4 of 1 John, he talks again about love. I didn't count how many times. I think he probably says it 15 times in this one section here that I'm going to read. Pastor Dan's going to preach on it in a couple weeks, but just hear the word of the Lord again. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, hear, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, or God lives in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but for perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Everyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you for the, the challenge and the, the conviction here. Lord, thank you for telling us the way that we follow you in love, that we, uh, that we are to receive your love and, and give your love in action and in truth, not just having the right intention or the right, act, the right actions, but through giving of ourselves for the good and the service of, of those around us in a way that really meets their, their needs. Um, Lord, of course, the need is, um, there's lots of needs, God, we know that the, the deepest need is spiritual, Lord, that people need to, to come to know you and, and to trust you and to put their life, uh, their life, uh, give their life to you. Lord, we pray that you help us today and this week not to forget this, but to remember, Lord, your love for us and allow your word to work in and through us and to extend towards those around us. Lord, I pray that uh, when, we, when we find ourselves getting, getting frustrated or bitter, resent, uh, growing resentment. I pray that you help us recognize that and not be like Cain, um, not shove it under the rug, um, but to, to allow and, and even boost up others before ourselves, uh, giving of ourselves in order to, to share your love. Um, Lord, thank you for Jesus who died for us. Lord, he laid down his life willingly for us. God, thank you for that great gift that through Jesus, we don't have to die. We don't, we don't have to be separated from you for eternity, Lord. We have life in you. We walk in the life. We, we walk in the light. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Uh, we pray that you help it settle deeply down in us. We pray this all in Jesus' name.
Amen.